Welcome back to the Mask You Get a Few podcast. My name is Brandon Hall. I'm pleased to be joined uh, by Dr. Kathy Collins for a second time. Kathy is the technology teacher at Sharon Middle School. Kathy, welcome aboard. Thanks so much, Brandon. So Happy to be here. Yeah, and it's beautiful sunny day outside April vacation. This is, can't beat this. <laughs> um, we wanted to talk today about um, digital media news literacy and sort of the misinformation and disinformation that's out on the internet today and and kind of become a, I don't know, per- pervasive sort of thing, right? The the sharing of information that may not might not necessarily be information, correct? Correct. <laughs> so so you're yeah. teaching this now at Sharon Middle School. Tell me a little bit about the course. Yeah, so I was really excited to uh, receive this opportunity to teach uh, an elective one-quarter class for every eighth grade student on media literacy. Uh, I used to be a reporter before I uh, chose to go into the education field, so it seemed like a natural fit. And uh, given the misinformation crisis that we're encountering these days, uh, I just feel it's a really valuable skill to be teaching our students and um, super important these days. So what sort of skills transfer over from a job as a reporter to that of an educator? Yeah, well, I think there's been a common theme in, um, I'd say, my steps from reporter to librarian to currently media literacy teacher, and that's, you know, uh, teaching students the skills to sort through and evaluate information uh, through whatever format. And of course, it's become more and more digital. Uh, Unlike when I was growing up, um, I'm kind of going to give away my age here, but (laughs) (laughs) it was a lot simpler. Uh, You know, when I was a kid, we had a few different news sources that we relied on, and uh, we knew they were reputable. And now, of course, um, you know, there are so many benefits of social media, but also because of the the growth of the internet, uh, it's a pretty tricky time, and uh, students definitely need help. So, uh, you know, critical thinking skills are are really at the core of of uh, all of these different overlapping fields. Yeah, no no question about that. And you, and you look at sort of the way that social media has exploded in the last ten years, um, and then the different formats that are available, whether it's short videos on TikTok or um, you know memes on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram or short videos on Instagram, it's really hard to say, like, here's this information, here is the sourcing behind this information, now draw your own conclusion. It's more of like, hey, here's this picture that says something, it doesn't have any kind of citation or sourcing with it, um, and then people run with it. Yes, and unfortunately, our young people are really gullible uh, to the wealth of misinformation out there. So, uh, you know, and and just to share, Brandon, a few statistics here. Uh, in one internet minute, and this is back uh, in 2018, so this has exploded even more statistics-wise, but 187 million emails are sent, 18 million text messages, <laughs> 3.7 million Google search queries, 973,000 Facebook logins, and 481,000 tweets. <laughs> so, wow. uh, you know, along with that, comes a relentless stream of misinformation and hoaxes and sometimes propaganda um, that misleads. And so, you know, how do we help students develop the skills they need to sort out, you know, the truth from the uh, misinformation that's 
that's the challenge. Yeah, and it's such an uphill battle to fight because it's it's kind of like playing whack-a-mole in some ways. Um, you know, a meme pops up or an organization pops up with with disinformation or misinformation, and then you know, if if the if the organization or the platform gets shut down, another one pops up in its place. Um, it's got to be hard to kind of continue to teach students over and over again. You know, don't just go with what you see. You know, do that research. How how do you how do you get students to become more aware of the media that they're consuming? Yeah. So here's where uh, I wanted to share today about some of some really awesome resources that are available. And uh, there are so many, but uh, the one I want to focus on, especially in our conversation today, is uh, the News Literacy Project, which offers uh, free resources for educators. So it's a full curriculum uh, that lets end ideal for this hybrid learning environment that we've been facing. Uh, so it, it's self-paced, personalized learning, and it uh, breaks down all of these subject areas. So teaches about conspiracy theories, bias, First Amendment rights, um, and gives students a lot of exercises of actually, and it's fun for them. So I love using a gamified approach, and it, uh, it includes a lot of fun activities where students have to play detective, which they love anyway, and um, they have to figure out whether different posts are true or are these troll accounts. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of fun activities there, and I, I feel like that's the best way to reach them is to show them, actually, I open up by showing them how gullible they are and how challenging <laughs> some of these activities are, and they're always really uh, surprised to see um, that they haven't done as well as they might have thought. And, you know, so then by the end of the class, uh, you know, my goal is always that they can go back and take that first activity and, and do so much better on it. Um, but to get back to the statistics, I have to share a couple more of those, which is another way that I kind of hook their interest at the beginning is uh, false news gets out there way more, <laughs> way more than uh, accurate news. False news is actually 70% more likely to be tweeted than true stories. Uh, it takes true stories about six times as long as false stories to reach 1,500 people. Oh. And true stories rarely reach more than 1,000 people. The top 1% of false stories are shared by 1,000 to 100,000 people. So, And that's uh, research done by MIT up the block from us. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, I, I have to... I have to stop for a second and think when I, you know, when I was a social studies teacher, the, I think one of the things that kids had the hardest part understand, one of the hardest things kids had a hard time, this doesn't make any sense. The, the thing that kids struggled with, there we go. The kids, the, the thing that kids struggled with was the first amendment and, and the idea of free speech that, you know, I have the right to free speech. Yes, you do. But there's a bunch of other things that are associated with it. There's a lot of caveats there that have been proven in court that say, like, yes, you have the right to say whatever you want, but there are limits on it. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater because it creates a mass panic. So, you know, and, and the things like flag burning and everything else and symbolic speech, I, yes. I, I guess it's it, it becomes it becomes a multi course approach here that, you know, the social studies teacher is is working on it, teaching kids about what speech is and then what you're doing with media literacy and looking at how how do we uh, how do we fight disinformation and misinformation uh, 
Um, so, so what can we do about it? <laughs> so, and I'm just, I have to, yeah, what can we do about it? And I'm so glad you just brought up the First Amendment um, issue because uh, right now we have a really cool, so again, and, and you mentioned the overlap. There's so much overlap between subject areas here. So social studies, uh, think about the COVID uh, misinformation that yeah. gets on science, science literacy, right? So it's all kind of inter interconnected right now. And again, it comes down to teaching students how to be better critical thinkers. And as you asked, how do we do that? Well, I think using, I mean, there is no sort, no shortage right now of misinformation. So <laughs> it's so easy to grab current events. And uh, right now, just to get back to the first, uh, the free speech issue, we have a really uh, interesting case happening. Um, it's actually been uh, that the Supreme Court is going to hear the case. And it has to do with a cheerleader uh, back in 2017, a ninth grade student who uh, failed to make the varsity cheerleading squad. And she went on Snapchat and used a lot of uh, F-bomb words. <laughs> and uh, the administrators removed her as a result of this uh, from the cheerleading squad. Um, so, uh, because she was, you know, she was frustrated, she didn't make the squad, she vented her frustration on Snapchat, and this uh, case is actually going all the way to the Supreme Court. So, um, so I think, you know, students are so interested in hearing about their peers and what's happening with, and as you said, they're passionate about free speech, but don't always realize that this is a gray area. So, um, you know, teenagers are idealists by nature, so getting them involved, and they are natural debaters, so, you know, involving them them in debate is a great way to, um, to to kick off conversation and get them thinking about their First Amendment rights. Yeah, there was a case that we used to teach about um, in in the AP government class, the Morse v. Frederick case um, from the early 2000s. There were two kids that stood that skipped school and held up a banner as the Olympic torch was going to pass by, and it said "Bong hits for Jesus." On, oh, the, yes. on on the on the banner, right? And it's it's it means nothing. The kids have admitted it meant nothing. It was just them being silly, and they just wanted to get some attention. Um, and they were suspended from school uh, for promoting illegal drug use from across the school from a school sponsored event. They they get suspended. They challenge it. It goes to the Supreme Court, um, and it was it was held five. It was a five four decision. So it was you know it was a really close decision, like most of them are now at this point. Yes. Um, but that they, that they, they, they had the right to do it, um, that they couldn't be held accountable for it. Um, that it was just a, it was just a nothing thing that turned into a Supreme court case. It's, it's crazy to think the kid, <laughs> my students liked to learn about that. They got a laugh out of it the first time they see it, but at the same time, mm -hmm. you know, the free speech issues. So, um, how I guess using your background as a reporter and as a tech person and a librarian, you've got this really unique um, sort of background. What do you? How do you attack these issues in your class and not alienate kids? Right, because we want to make sure that we're not doing the whole, um, you know, the accusation that teachers are indoctrinating kids. But you've got yeah. such a unique perspective on things yeah. as a reporter a former reporter, that how do you do it in such a way that you allow kids to be able to explore? Yeah, uh, that's a, a great question, Brandon. Um, 
I think definitely with sensitivity, right? These are, uh, and as I said, kids love to debate. So, you know, laying down the rules, the classroom rules and the expectations for respectful conversation, respectful debate. That's the key really to, um, you know, building a safe classroom community where we can continue to uh, share and, and, and debate these, uh, uh, these gray areas. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and then also, like I said, using the digital resources through technology. So there's a whole, there's an awesome first amendment lesson. And then um, one of the first tasks I do as a kickoff to that is uh, I have them survey their friends and their family to see whether their friends and family can name the First Amendment five rights (laughs) (laughs) and freedoms and again you know they're and and whether they can and we take it from there and again um, you know that usually leads to uh, some shock and surprise that you know family members could only maybe name two of the, (laughs) the, the five uh, and so that's a, a good conversation opener as well. So um, I don't, you know, the the material is so rich and uh, I'm just so passionate about this topic. You know, it's always been, uh, I guess, because of my experience as working as a reporter uh, and then a librarian. It's just really important um, to me. It's key, especially right now, uh, to teach our students how to think for themselves in this uh, as I said, misinformation landscape that we're dealing with in yeah. this country right now. It's yeah. pretty horrifying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what are some of the resources that you've, you've found that are the best ones or that you'd like to share? Um, sure. to, yeah. Uh, so I mentioned, um, the news literacy project, which just has a wealth of information for free. <laughs> it's a nonprofit, Excellent. uh, based in DC. And, uh, I would encourage all, educators to check this out because as I said this is cross-curricular you could integrate this easily into any subject area it's checkology.org you can sign up for an account and it gives you free access to all these resources which also let you um, monitor your students progress so you can set up a classroom you can check in on them and it's very self-paced or you can do some of the activities as a group so um, it's a great resource and it's very up-to-date but there are others as well I want to talk about one that I love that is also available through NLP which is the News Literacy Project you can sign up for it and uh, it's called the SIFT S-I-F-T and what it is, every week, um, the people who are involved with the project take a look at current events and current posts in the news, and reporters analyze the content, and they, sh- they take false tweets and false messages, and they show students how to check those facts for themselves through, through strategies like reverse Google image searches, um, and through uh, what, what we call lateral reading, like taking one article and then looking at other sources to see how they are reporting the same event. So it teaches them strategies uh, each on a, week, uh, a weekly basis, and it's current events. And uh, it's wonderful because it's classroom-ready slides. <laughs> so for busy Perfect. teachers, right. yeah. it is a yeah, it's a an awesome resource. Um, that's one. I also though want to share a few others that I love. 
so one thing I do, I show them that there are a lot of uh, websites out there that help you fact check. Uh, PolitiFact, uh, one called factcheck.org, yep. all sides. Yep. Um, and Snopes is probably the, the best known of them. And these are all fact-checking sites that uh, are great to use and show students how to use them in class, especially when they're uh, first learning um, these skills themselves. Common Sense Media is another source I love. And uh, again, this is free uh, digital citizenship curriculum that has a lot of great lessons for helping turn students into fact-finding detectives. <laughs> yeah, I really liked a couple of those, uh, like the Common Sense. Uh, Common Sense Media was a great one that we used to use a lot, and PolitiFact. Uh, and fact, we would use um, factcheck.org after debates, uh, after we had presidential debates. So we'd sh you know, show pieces of the presidential debate and then go into PolitiFact or factcheck.org and have students kind of examine the things that the candidates were saying. Uh, and we found that that was really helpful in kind of ending that disinformation or misinformation. Um, and, and some, you know, sometimes that's not, you know, when, when politicians get up and speak, it's not done willfully um, in the same way that it is when it's a, a coordinated campaign online. Um, you know, I, I think we, we looked at in the 2016 election with my students we looked at some of the things that were being spread um, as, you know, whether it was a meme or, or something else. And then we went and found the source of it, like you said, with the Google image, reverse image search um, and looking at some of the hidden symbols in it and, and said to ourselves, you know, what, what is the purpose of this piece of media? Um, and, and ultimately, the students came down to well, it's a division. The ultimate, you know, the ultimate purpose of this is to divide two groups. And then we start looking at the source, and it turns out that the source was from not within the United States. Um, and that's great. It, yeah, and and looking at some of those outside factors that are really hard to fight against. Yeah, yeah, uh, great. And uh, above the noise, I also want to mention it's a YouTube channel. Um, Teachers can use the videos and have their students join the discussion on um, it's KQED, which does great work with media yeah, literacy. Yeah. Um, what else? There's one more, the Choices Program, and that's uh, by Brown University, another yeah, free uh, lesson resource source. And then uh, I mentioned how I, I love to use games with the students. Uh, and and activities where they create things on their own. So there's there's something called the Break Your Own News Image Maker, and this is just a lot of fun. So um, students can make their own images and uh, create their own. Uh, I guess you could call it fake news. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Although I don't. I, one of the things I explain to students is that that. That particular term is very misused and overused, but um, but the break your own news image maker is a lot of fun. So, uh, and another game it's called Factitious, and uh, it introduces students to bias and um, the importance of looking at a variety of news sources for information. And that's another great one. These are all free and on the web. So, so I guess in the end, what what do you expect your students to be able to gain what kind of knowledge what's what's the end goal for the course or for the unit um that you know if a supervisor was saying 
what, um, what did the students gain from this? What did the students learn from this lesson or, or unit or class? Um, and what would your response be to that? Yeah, well, I would say the overall goal is that uh, my students, by the end of the course, have become um, smart <laughs> news information consumers. Um, and as far as, um, you know, your students go, uh, in what ways have you seen that growth? Uh, well, I mentioned I do do some assessments. I wouldn't call them. They're more like surveys than I, I, yeah. I would describe them as surveys versus tests. And uh, I, what I look for by the end where there's a little test I give them through the uh, News Literary Project's um, Checkology uh, resources, there's a how, how news literate are you test. And if they do well on that at the end, then I, I, I feel like I've done my job. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and then as far as uh, what your work coming up with MassQ, um, you have a webinar um, that you're proposing um, that that will be running on digital media and news literacy. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So yeah, that's going to be uh, for educators. I'm going to uh, hone in on some of these resources that I use with my students, show them how easy it is to use them and how to integrate them across content areas. Uh, and um, again, teach them by doing. So it's going to be a very interactive, fun workshop, actually, using some of these resources um, and coming up with some lesson plans that are uh, very general, but applicable across content areas. That's really great. And, and that is planning to run this summer, correct? Correct. We actually have dates. I, I should have, I don't have my calendar right in front of me, but That's the okay. first date I'm I believe is the third week of May, and I want to say May 19th. Uh, that's my guess. And then it'll be a two-week workshop. So it's uh, a lot of it is self-paced, and then we meet for the last session. So it's asynchronous as well as face-to-well, uh, face-to-face through Zoom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> but it, it should be a lot of fun, and I, I'm looking forward to teaching it. Because uh, as I said, I feel like this could easily be integrated through so many different courses. Yeah. And you've been volunteering this year with the News Literacy Project. What's that? All right. So the News Literacy Project, it is a national education nonprofit, and it provides programs and resources for educators and the public to teach, learn, and share all of those important abilities that we shared about to be smart, active consumers of news and information and uh, equal and engaged participants in a democracy, because that is what we really want. And the end goal is hopefully our young people are going to become um, active, informed participants in our democracy and make uh, wise decisions. <laughs> Yeah, right. In the end, that's what we would like. You know, <laughs> that's like yeah. the goal, which is great. Um, and it fits, it really does fit perfectly in with um, the middle and high school le level learners. The, um, it's a great project. Uh, yeah. and, and it does remind me a bit of like what the museum was in DC. Hopefully that will reopen soon. That was a really terrific place to take students. Um, and, and their online resources are excellent too. 
Yes, and uh, related to the News Literacy Project, I, before we uh, end our discussion, I did also really want to share a few of the different resources in addition to Checkology, which teachers might, might find very useful. Uh, there's a journalist in the classroom uh, opportunity. You just have to fill out a little request form and you can choose journalists from um, the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, uh, NPR. Uh, you can choose local journalists who would actually visit your classroom or you can set it up as a virtual visit, but that's a great thing to know about. Uh, there's also a forum uh, where educators can post their questions about how to integrate materials uh, or just to have a conversation and to share and to network with other teachers who are uh, equally passionate about the topic of news literacy education. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, and Kathy, what kinds of things are you doing outside of this right now? Uh, something, something you want to plug, a uh, project, you know, a personal project you're working on or, or anything else going on? Oh, gosh. Well, uh, I, I'm part of the ISTE board now. Oh, cool. It's really exciting. And uh, I, I was missing my MassQ board work. So joining that organization uh, as a board member has been really exciting for me. I, I just love networking. <laughs> so the opportunities at that level to plan right now for we're getting gearing up for our uh, ISTE Live, our summer conference at the end of June, which is going to be phenomenal. And uh, I would encourage uh, people to take a look at that online. If you're not an ISTE member, it's, it's well worth it. It's uh, the resources that they offer and, and the programs, again, the professional development uh, are awesome. And um, MassQ is the local affiliate of that. So we're all connected. <laughs> yeah. And that, that one's going to, the ISTE Live in the summer is going to be digital, correct? Correct. Yes. Uh, to, to play it safe. Yeah. Uh, right now. Uh, but hopefully we'll be back, you know, face to face by next summer. Now, now, did I hear a rumor that 2022, ISTE 2022 is in New Orleans? Is that is that a dirty rumor or is that a true rumor? It's a true rumor. Wow. So it wasn't. <laughs> so we, we just we got rid of some disinformation here. That's good. Uh, I, having been to a conference once in New Orleans, I will tell you it is absolutely worth it. Uh, that facility, the conference facility there is immense. And I know ISTE is an needs an immense venue. Uh, it's immense. And then the surrounding sort of like the food and the culture and the city itself are just so great. Um, that, that'll that be a great sort of welcome back to conference life. That'll be a good one. I am so excited to uh, I get to go there in September as part of the planning. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's going to be phenomenal. I've never been to New Orleans. It's been on my bucket list for a while now. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 I think it's going to be a, a fa fabulous time. Yep. And, uh, try the try the beignets. <laughs> oh, okay. Good to know. <laughs> They're like these unbelievable little powdered, uh, like dusted sugar, like donut things. There's really no Cafe du Monde is like the famous place and people will line up like around the block. All, at all hours of the day to get them. They're amazing. I don't really know that how to. That sounds fabulous. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now you have me thinking food and <laughs> yep. it's almost lunchtime. It is almost lunchtime. <laughs> now, yeah, there's no such thing as a bad early lunch, right? So No, correct. <laughs> Kathy, where can people find you online? Uh, so my Twitter handle is at techgypsy11. And, and that's the best place to find me. I'm very active on Twitter. Great. 
Okay. Well, Kathy, thank you so much for coming on the Get a Q podcast again. We always have a great conversation. And um, be on the lookout for Kathy's webinar stuff coming up on the MassQ.org website. Thank you, Kathy. You're so welcome. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to the Get a Q podcast by MassQ. Here to educate, connect, and inspire.